Good morning, Grace Chapel. Some of you, uh, oh, by the way, children between the ages of preschool and fifth grade, you can head out through the middle door back here and go with your, uh, your teachers. Um, some of you, I, I noticed, I looked around and had a surprised look on your face. Those of you who are listening to Ben, um, this is three or four of you, I, I noticed, um, when he made the announcement of the picnic, was at what time? Yeah, that's not a mistake. We are planning to hold the service there at Fox Lake Farm, outdoor service at 11 uh, a.m. in conjunction with the picnic. So right after the combined service, we'll all move on to eat and talk about the service. No, in a good way, we will. So, so that, I just wanted to clear that up and make sure you are all ready. Um, last week, we talked about heaven. Are you ready? <laughs> Come on. Yes. Uh, in our introduction to heaven last week, the Bible revealed to us anything but a boring eternity. Um, people call what's ahead heaven. We've been doing it for uh, thousands of years. Uh, they call it the afterlife. They call it the other side. Jesus called it paradise. Very good. Yeah. And we saw from the Bible last week that heaven, as it is today, like right now, where believers in Jesus Christ, like you and I, were present with Him. Our, our bodies, these physical bodies, have returned to the ground um, from which they originally came. Uh, and that current heaven right now today is going to be remade um, after you and I receive our new resurrected eternal bodies. It's all going to be remade. Uh, so what it is now is not what it's going to be. And last week we read from the Bible that the old heaven and earth, this that exists today, is going to be recreated into a new heaven and a new earth. And in Revelation, if you will remember from last week, the apostle John was given this vision at the very end of the book that described it as this new Jerusalem, just fantastic in size and scope, coming down from the new heavens that have just been created to make God's heavenly dwelling with us on this new earth. Does that sound boring? I hope not. You know, it's the culmination of what God has promised all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. It's this idea that God has always given us of God with us. God with us. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself to certain individuals. Remember, way back, way back in the beginning, and certain individuals would get these encounters with God, and it, it was through these appearances of God on earth, these visions, these dreams, and sometimes it's just a voice. And then God, what did he do? He, he made his earthly location a tabernacle, what is called a tabernacle. It's called the tent of meeting. And, the, and that tent is where you met it's where you worshiped God through sanctified priests. That's how you came before him and made your sacrifices. And then that place of meeting God on this earth became this permanent place called the temple. And it was built in Jerusalem by Solomon. And then Jesus, the Messiah, as God in the flesh, what? Walked among us. He dwelt with us. And, and now, because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and you remember he, after 40 days, ascended back to the Father's right hand, you and I have what? God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. It's, it's, it's awesome, right? 
But in our future remade heaven and earth, God lives with us and we live with him. Heaven today, the place where you and I, one day, if Jesus Christ tarries, are going to go upon our death. What's it like? Has anyone been there? Please don't put your hand up. <laughs> Randy Alcorn uh, wrote a best-selling book on heaven. It's pretty good. A television network called his office shortly after that book hit the bestseller list and asked his receptionist, has Randy ever been to heaven? And the receptionist answered, well, if he has, he's never mentioned it. But, but he did do years of research in the Bible and church history on what heaven's all about. And the conversation ended abruptly with, well, we want to interview people who've actually been there. <laughs> it's like, so, so the underlying insinuation of the television network and in most of our world today is we don't care what the Bible has to say about heaven. We want eyewitness accounts because that's spectacular. That draws a crowd. And too often people view the numerous accounts, at least I find, these numerous accounts of humans who testify to visiting this heaven today, they view it as gospel. Well, you can't argue with them because that's, that's what happened to them. You can watch them on YouTube, their videos. You can read their books. You can hear them speak at famous churches and even huge conferences and big events. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Obviously, God can do whatever he wants. Would you believe that? Yeah, of course he can. He's not limited by me and my understanding of things. Obviously, God can show someone the afterlife, afterlife if he so chooses. It's not beyond him. But Hebrews and a lot of other places in the Bible clearly state, Hebrews 9.27 declares that for most of humanity, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. For most of humanity, that's true, probably for most of us in this room. Although there have been a few very rare biblical exceptions to that with the prophets Elijah and Elisha, and in the New Testament, the apostles, Peter and Paul. They were the four individuals in the course of human history through whom, by God's grace and God's power, it surged through them to raise a human being from the dead. But every time a person was raised from the dead, it was this stupendous miracle, and everybody, every finger pointed to God. It displayed that God, who is himself the source, the very source of life, has the ability to give life to whomever he will, even after they're dead. It's about God, not us. It's not even about the one used by God to perform the miracle. But each of us, in each of these actually, each of these resurrections were temporary, right? Like those people who were raised by those four men died again. Enoch and Elijah are two others because they're the only two recorded humans that we know of who escaped physical death. Like, unbelievable. They went straight to the current heaven. And at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when he died for the sins of the world, as we were just singing, God puts an exclamation mark on his sacrifice on the cross by raising many saints 
from their actual tombs. That must have been just amazingly terrifying, right? To anyone who knew them, <laughs> it's like, wait, you're dead. <laughs> oh, oh, no, you're not. Crazy. Yeah, I was in this, I woke up and I'm in this dark cave and you got anything to eat? I was like, because that's what humans typically think of first. Jesus himself raised many from the dead. I didn't include him with the other four because Jesus is the God-man, not just the man. Jesus himself was raised from the dead by God the Father. But his resurrection was unlike anything else in history. Anyone else who's been raised from the dead, Jesus is the first to come back to life in this new, resurrected, eternal body. And all the other people, like I said, died again. And we have recorded for us in the book of Hebrews the account of after Jesus died on the cross, telling us that Jesus went into the very temple in heaven. And he sprinkled his blood on the holy of holies to satisfy God's wrath once and for all. Remember, the priests on the planet are, are sanctified and they're sprinkling the blood, blood for, you and our, for our sins day after day after day, and it never ends. But Jesus did it once and for all. His blood grants anyone who believes forgiveness, eternal life, access to our holy God, all because of His blood. But there are all these stories today that you have heard, that I have heard, of these death experiences where people go towards a bright light, right? Or where they actually get beyond the bright light and they're in this amazing full-color heaven on earth and they describe it and then they resuscitate and hold a news conference. It seems people have died twice. And we know, as I've just said, it's recorded in Scripture that there have been some people who have died twice. But I look at the accounts today and I see that they occur in the ER and people who are under surgery or in tragic accidents. And they happen without an apostle and they happen without a prophet. They happen without a Messiah from God being used to bring them back. And there's plenty, plenty. You can read it. Just Google it. You can read plenty of medical analysis that professionals in the medical community have researched that suggest that they may not truly have died once that first time at all, even if vital signs weren't measurable by the current instruments we use to measure vital signs. They say that a person's memories under heavy sedation, his or her ability to distinguish reality from dream are interesting. I find them interesting, these wild stories. They're thought-provoking. They really are. But they aren't completely reliable. And yes, there's a lot I don't understand, you don't understand, the medical community doesn't understand. We don't. We can't fathom the mind of God and His giving of life. But our experiences in that and anything else are always suspect. Sometimes people hold up experiences as gospel. They're not. They always have to be filtered through God's Word and what we do know. They're not gospel. God's Word. God's Word that we're reading today is our only true and reliable source. 
It's our only source of information about life and death and about heaven and about the eternal life. There is an appointed, there is an appointed time to be born and there is an appointed time to die for every one of us in this room. You can't add a single hour, minute to your life by worrying about when that time is. God has already numbered your days. He's already written them down in a book, and you can't change your number. You can't do it. But each of us can make most of our time because the days are evil. But we humans thirst for the spectacular. I know I do, don't you? Could that be in part because in our heart of hearts we know this world is passing away? It's dying. Could it be because God, as it says in the Old Testament, has placed eternity in our hearts so that you and I know that there must be more than this? So we strive and we long for more than this. Many believe that the Apostle Paul is recounting his own story in 2 Corinthians, uh, his own story of how he was transported to paradise, into heaven. Possibly, as I read it, it might have been the time, do you remember when Paul went to the city of Lystra and the Jews didn't like what he had to say, so they dragged him outside the city and they stoned him to death. And then they went back inside the city, city and then he, God raised him back to life and he went back in the city. That must have been fun wait, didn't we kill you? <laughs> Maybe we should listen to what you have to say. But unlike what we're witnessing today, I just don't want to point this out, he didn't tell all. He didn't hold a news conference. He didn't write a book. As a matter of fact, none of the resurrections from Genesis to Revelation that we have in Scripture really say anything about visiting heaven. Nada. Nothing on the in-between dying and raising again part. There are no stories except for the few visions of heaven that the prophets and the psalmists were given, but they were all alive when they were given those visions. This is all Paul tells us. So this is, this is all we have. This is the only gospel we have. He divulges it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 3 to 4. This man was caught up into paradise here it comes. You ready? Because I want to know. And he heard things that cannot be told. What? Things which may not be uttered. That's it. It's interesting that many of the accounts today, however, claim to divulge secrets that sadly some readers believe more than or instead of Scripture. And quite often I find a lot of these stories leave the impression that everyone goes to heaven. That was one of the myths we looked at early on in this series. That's not true. So what do we know? What do you and I know? Heaven is beyond our imagination. That's what I know. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10 says, But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
This passage isn't particularly about our future. You know what it's about? It's about the gospel of our salvation. That in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's unimaginable. I can't fathom what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that God not only created unimaginable variety and wonder throughout the universe for you and I as humans, humans who over thousands of years have rejected Him, but even in the face of rejection, God instead sent us a Savior to redeem you and I rejectors back. If that's the nature of the gospel, grace for rebellious sinners, I can only imagine what lies in the new created world that God has ordained for those who actually love Him in Jesus Christ. If this is what He has done for sinners, can you imagine what God will do for saints? Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, the things that we can read about in Scripture, they belong to us and to our children forever. The Bible has substantial information about the world that is coming. We just don't read it very often. We went over it briefly last week. We just scratched the surface. It belongs to us, and the Bible provides far more information than most people realize. For example, this is just one out of, out of hundreds I could, I could quote. I, the whole chapter of Isaiah chapter 60. You might want to read it someday. It speaks of this amazing future paradise for God's kids. And it's quoted in Revelation regarding the new heavens and the new earth. That suggests to me that Isaiah 60 and a whole bunch of other Old Testament passages may be describing this new earth where you and I are going to live with God among us. Heaven is beyond <clears throat> our imagination. And also, heaven's anticipation affects how you and I do life today, doesn't it? It's supposed to. Heaven's anticipation affects our daily living. A takeaway from the Bible regarding our future inheritance, this heaven on earth, is that God wants us to anticipate what awaits us. He desires this. Quit being so caught up in the here and the now and the things that are around you. They look enticing. They look wonderful. There are spectacular waterfalls to hike to, but that's nothing. It's kind of the idea. It's a, a little taste. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 11 to 13, since all these things are thus to be dissolved... <laughs> How does that make you feel? This physical world and even the heavens themselves will one day dissolve by God's power. What are you pouring your time into? And Peter's conclusion is, okay, this is what's going to happen. God said it. I believe it. That's good enough for me. What sort of people ought we to be? That's a fair question, Right? In light of our present and future reality, how should we then live? Peter goes on. In lives of holiness and godliness. Doing what? Waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God. 
Is there anything you're waiting for in life that you're saying, Jesus, if you could just wait until… Isn't that ludicrous? That's like, like, where's your head at? Where's my head at when I think that? See, this is to be our focus, our hope, our preparation. It's what we do. And Peter goes on, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. (laughs) And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. That's pretty hot. But according to his promise, I go to prepare a place for you. We are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells not what you and I are currently experiencing on this planet. There is an entire biblical vocabulary with words like reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, resurrect. In English, they all begin with an R. And God plans to physically restore His entire creation, and that includes not only you and I, but the heavens and the earth. Romans 8 18 to 23, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God in us, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we wait. But in the meantime, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what Jesus Christ's resurrected body modeled for us for 40 days as He walked before He ascended to the Father on this planet. We can worship God now by working, painting. Painting? Yes, painting. Playing, reading, writing. Okay, even arithmetic. I'm not sure about the arithmetic, but anyway, okay. And enjoying every other innocent activity. On a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness reigns, we will know it fully. But for now, my anticipation peaks in how I behave here. Heaven is beyond our imagination. Heaven's anticipation is going to affect how we daily live. Heaven's our inheritance, people, children, brothers and sisters. Today we read about people receiving these ginormous inheritances, right? Do you read those stories and go, where's my uncle who I don't know about? And they, and they, and they always say, <clears throat> after they get the inheritance, this is going to change my life. Let's go back to the end of the Bible, which is actually the beginning of our future eternity. It details our inheritance. It's Revelation 22, verse 14. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes. You got a washed robe? The biblical theme of washed robes speaks of our destiny secured, our salvation bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, washed in His righteousness, holy, pure blood. His blood gets you and I into the family of God. We are now dressed appropriately to be in the family of God, to get what? So that they may have the right to the tree of life that we talked about last week and that they may enter the city by those gates that we talked about last week. As adopted sons and daughters in God's family, we have an incredible inheritance coming. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ ends with the revelation of Jesus Christ on the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, living with us. Let's talk about our new bodies because that's what everybody wants to talk about. Heaven, this newly created heaven, is going to be for our newly created bodies. Let's look at our future resurrected bodies. First of all, we're told that we are to long for those bodies. I don't have any problem with that. Do you ever struggle with that? Yeah, I'm not, I really like what I got. It's, <laughs> it's pretty good. I look in the mirror and I go, done. I don't think so. <laughs> I, at least I've never done that. Maybe you know someone who has. Romans 8, 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we got a taste of God in us. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of son, sons, the redemption of our bodies. And Paul describes our bodies now and then. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 to 5. For in this tent we groan. <laughs> and all God's people said, yeah, it's longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, by the way, I love the way God has Paul describe our body as a tent. Don't you? Do you like camping? I know some of you are so into it, and there's even people camping this week, and, and some are going next week. Do you like? Yeah, yeah I like camping too. Okay, don't give me, I like camping. But isn't there a point where when you're camping, you long for your house? You long for your bed? It, and, and it's while you're camping. It's usually during a rainstorm. For me, it's around 2 a.m. in the morning. And we groan. Paul says we groan. Being burdened, yes, it's a burden to camp. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be, we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit, as we looked at last week, as a guarantee. This is what's coming my Holy Spirit in you, my spirit, 
is in you, one day you're going to be there. Guaranteed. I think our inability, I think we all have it. We have to admit this. We have this inability to truly appreciate the physical nature of our coming resurrection. Right? Don't you struggle with that? Like after you leave here today and you go and have lunch and you're eating lunch and it's like you've already forgotten that this isn't it, right? Maybe. I think it can rob us of our excitement for heaven and leave us still holding on to things here. God's future plan of this renewed physical universe seems to suggest to me that we're going to live, we're going to eat, we're going to drink, we're going to laugh, we're going to pray, we're going to rest, we're going to work, we're going to exercise all of the gifts of our, of our godly, eternal, image-bearing bodies. And most importantly, we're going to be with and we're going to worship and we're going to serve our King, Jesus, who sits on the throne. Just read up on some of Jesus' activities while he was in his resurrected body in the Gospels. He ate. He walked. He walked through walls. He prepared a breakfast. He taught. He carried the scars of his sacrifice. And there's more. There's more that God's Son has yet to accomplish according to God the Father's will. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 24, but in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. All those who have died, you and I are going to be included in that number one day. He's the first of the resurrected that, and we're to follow. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, for each in, but each in his own order. Okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Christ first, he's the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to him. Do you belong to him today? Are you going to be there? And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and all power. Yes, it's going to be a glorious day, but it's going to be a frightening day for this planet and the people on it who have rejected him. And Jesus spoke a little bit, actually, about what it was going to be like at his coming in Matthew 19 to the disciples. He said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. There's that inheritance again. And will inherit eternal life. Peter preached in Acts 3.21 that Christ in his resurrected body will remain in the current heaven in the time being. And he said, until the time for the restoring of the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The Apostle Paul considered it vital that you and I know what happens when we die. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he said, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, 
about those who have passed on before you, those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. That is why when I do a Christian funeral, there's a sense of glory about it, that one day we're all going to be together again, that we have hope. Believing that eternal life consists of floating around as a spirit, which I think most of our world sees the next life as. Um, some, there's a lot of other non-biblical theories like ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? It only furthers straight Satan's strategy. In Revelation 13, 6, he's, uh, we read about Satan that he utters blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That would be heaven. That's in Revelation 13. That's future to you and I, but it reveals to me his strategy that he's had for thousands of years, his ongoing methods for his propagation of evil, thinking that heaven will be boring, betrays the heresy that God is boring. Hmm. The God who made my taste buds, my adrenaline, your nerve endings, which convey pleasure to your brain, your imagination, your creativity, your capacity for happiness, excitement, contentment. Boring? Come on. And as we've seen from God's Word over the past two weeks, Christ's resurrection is our prototype. In Luke 29:39, Jesus Christ proclaimed in his resurrected body to the disciples, see my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. And then Thomas responds with, my Lord and my God. Thomas knew he was speaking to the Jesus he'd lived with for, for years, but now he's glorified. Job longed for this day. Job 19, 26 to 27 says, and after my, this is, this is like thousands of years before Jesus. Listen to this. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. He miraculously understood there's a coming resurrection whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart, when I think about this, my heart faints within me. It's too much. Since this resurrection awaits every one of us who are God's children, we haven't passed our peak performance. You may think you have, or you're heading to it. Uh-uh. Even our highest thoughts of what happiness are, and we never will. There's no need for a bucket list. Do you have one? Rip it up. There's no need because our new heaven adventures, our new universe adventures are going to far exceed this life's, and it's all because of the, the blood-bought promise of Jesus. Can you imagine if you were part of a, a NASA team 
preparing for a five-year mission to Mars. Oh, and by the way, you can buy your tickets. It's like a half million dollars to go to a planet that's going to burn up one day. Yeah, that's fun. I want to see Mars before it burns up. But after your extensive training for five years to go, the launch date finally arrives, and as the rocket lifts off, one of your fellow astronauts says to you, so what do you know about Mars? And you're like, nothing. <laughs> we, we, we never really talked about it in all the training. I guess we'll find out when we get there. It's, that's not what's going to happen, is it? No. It's inconceivable that after five years of training, you wouldn't have anything included, any extensive study and preparation for your ultimate destination. <clears throat> Yet in seminaries and in Bible college and in churches around the world, there's often very little discussion about our ultimate destination, and God's Word is packed with it, this new heavens and new earth. At least you're not interested until you reach particular ages when all of a sudden your interest strangely peaks. We're told how to get to heaven. We're told that it's a better destination than hell. True. But we're taught remarkably little about the destination itself. So you and I, we need to encourage each other. We do daily and pray in this, with this mindset. We need to encourage each other to live for heaven's joys now. Jettison anything unbiblical, anything unworthy, any view of heaven that falls short, and believe that the best is truly yet to come. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing glory and praise to our Father some more, but I want us, before we do that, to read from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, and then I want to pray. Ephesians 1.10 says that God's plan is this. Listen to it to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you believe that God's going to do that? Absolutely. And as His redeemed children looking towards that day and living in this life by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can be united in this one eternal hope. As we pray and prepare to praise, I want us to remember a group of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ right now who have no idea what tomorrow or even today holds, the church in Afghanistan. I was reading from some pastors uh, from the church in Afghanistan who are now living here in the United States, some of them down in Memphis, Tennessee, and it's, it's unbelievable what's happening, what's going on. What's more unbelievable is these pastors and the believers, your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ there today, you know what they talk about? The sovereignty of God, that He's in control of everything. They talk about being bold in their witness for Jesus Christ, knowing what that's going to mean. The oppression is ramped up. It's life-threatening, but they have a hope. They have a hope in what you and I have been reading about for the past two weeks. Heaven and their real home. Let's pray for them.
Heavenly Father, we are, we are before you amazed, saved, graced by the death of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And our hearts are burdened. They're burdened for places like Afghanistan, of which you are completely in control of. We don't understand that. We just know it's true. That their lives are in your hands, that you are, you are saving those you have called, and I pray for strength and courage and to know the peace that passes understanding into these men and women and, and children who are being tested beyond the limits of human endurance, and it requires the Holy Spirit. We pray for them, and Lord, we pray for each of us as we go out into a world that is increasingly more hostile towards you, that we would be light, and that we would preach truth, and that we'd be love, your love. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.